studied on this thought in the past week, and we'll begin looking at verse or chapter number six. Study on the thought of God's providence. And I'm thankful that we have and serve a God whose hand is powerful over every circumstance and situation. Amen. Very thankful that we have a God whose providence reaches every circumstance, every situation, every person. And before the foundation of the earth, God knew you. God knew who you are, who you would be, who your parents were, who your children are. The great-grandchildren you will never know because you'll be dead and gone. God knows them, knew them, and his hand is powerful and mighty over situations in their life. What a blessing it is. Now, we could probably just camp on that right there, and we might. I don't know. But God is so mighty and so powerful and so good. And I had this thought recently I was sharing with my, my wife of how I think a lot of people become backslidden on God because rather than, look, rather than looking at how great God is, how mighty and how powerful God is, they simply just look at what God can do for them and how they can be benefited in being a part of the family of God. But I would contest to you this morning that you will find more peace and happiness in your relationship with the Lord if you just look and realize and understand how great He is. To look up and say, Lord, you're so wonderful. And while this life upon this earth Things are not going to happen in the way that I wish they would. Things are not going to happen that I can ever understand or explain. But God, I'm just content with you and who you are. And if who you are today is all you'll ever be for me and nothing will ever change in my situation, my circumstances will never change, my hardships will never flee away from me, God, I'm just happy and content with who you are. Because what I'm looking for and what I'm building to is not on this side anyway. And learning to be thankful for who God is. And when you begin to see and realize and understand who God is, you will truly be able to look and understand and comprehend, not fully, not exhaust, but you will be able to understand and comprehend God's amazing providence. That while I do not know how it is God works, because he's God, I do not know his mind, his thoughts. I know he works in my situations and my circumstances. And while we come to things and we face things and we face hardships, years before you ever knew the difficulty of today was going to come up in your life, God knew. And while you cannot see what comes on the other side tomorrow, God does. And God knows. We serve a God whose mighty and powerful hand moves in ways we cannot comprehend or understand, but we must look and see and know, God, your providence, your touch is on everything. And I'm not going to drive myself crazy trying to figure out how you do it because I'm not you. But, Lord, I'm going to know when I enter a storm, when I come out of a storm and when I climb on the mountaintop, God, your mighty hand is on everything. And so we see in the story of Esther where we are when we come to chapter 6 here in Esther. 
We see that the Jews had fallen under captivity, Babylonian captivity. You'll find that in the scriptures, you'll find a man named Ahasuerus in Hebrew. But this was a man, his name was known in his tongue as Xerxes I. Anybody ever heard of Xerxes? He was a great, huge, powerful Persian king. He also was not somebody you'd want to mess with. There's a history recorded about him that while he was invading Greece, a group of engineers could not finish building a bridge because of storms, so it was only completed after a delay. Xerxes had all the engineers executed in spite of their best efforts. When he got mad, he got mad indeed. He was not someone you wanted to cross or make angry. So you'll hear me say Ahasuerus when I'm reading the text, but you also may hear me say Xerxes, and I'm talking about the Persian king here in these verses. The name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. You don't see it found in your King James Bible. You will not see the name of God mentioned. But I think it's important that we point out that as you study, I've read this book through four or five times this week, and I pray that you would consider doing the same for yourself. I pray that you get, I know you would get a blessing. What you'll see is while God's name is not necessarily mentioned, you'll see that faithfulness and prayer is mentioned and fasting. And you see, I think what we begin to see is the theme of providence, God's hand moving in all kinds of situations in this book of Esther. Although his name's not there, it seems like he's the farthest away from the situation. His hand is moving and touching each and every thing that's happening, happening in every verse you read. So we've got Xerxes. Then we have Esther. You find in the second chapter that she's exalted to, uh, to be the queen of the Persian Empire. She had not revealed herself as a Jew. And when the king was looking for a wife, she was brought up as a candidate. And you found that uh, the Bible tells us that she was beautiful and King Xerxes became infatuated with her and he sent her many gifts and he began to pursue her and he uh, fell deeply in love with her and first let's just stop there and realize that that's God's providence. That's God's hand moving on taking someone from the Jewish custom and from the, the, the captive Jewish people and putting, in them, putting them in a position where they would later serve him and be used to protect his people, God decided by his hand to put her in the position where she would be the queen of these people that enslaved her people. That's God's hand moving. That's God's providence. She was the wife of Xerxes and became the queen of the Persian Empire. She was not revealed as a Jew to her society. And a family member her, she was a ward of named Mordecai he was a Jew and he was a known Jew. And you just have to stop and realize that being a Jew in that society as a minority, much like most of the history for the Jewish people, it was not a benefit to them. But I believe we see and find that, that King Xerxes didn't have any uh, ne necessary natural hatred for the Jews. And you find that there were two eunuchs among the court of uh, King Xerxes that sought to kill him. And Mordecai found out about it, and he made that known, and you see that, uh, that, that he saved the king's life. 
And in this story, I'm, I'm sorry, I, rather than reading six or seven chapters, I was just realized real quickly, I'm just telling a big long story, but <coughs> you see that this king, Xerxes, he doesn't at that moment reward Mordecai, but we'll find that come back in the theme of the story. But it was written down in the chronicle that Mordecai spoke up and saved the life of King Xerxes. God's providence. It was pinned down and it was recorded that Mordecai spoke up and saved the king's life. What happens is Haman is the man that's brought in after these eunuchs were executed and cast out of the court. You find that Haman was an Agiate, which came from the lineage of the Amalekites. And Haman was brought in, and Haman was put into position and exalted by Xerxes, lifted up, high and lifted up, celebrated. And you find that Haman was a wicked man. You find that a rivalry begins between Mordecai the Jew and Haman the Agiite, because Mordecai, uh, the king, Xerxes, commanded that everyone respect and reverence Haman. But Mordecai would not reverence nor respect Haman. And that made this prideful man angry. And so Haman, he gets angry with Mordecai because he wouldn't reverence him and respect him. Remember, he's a man full of pride. And my personal opinion is that he wouldn't reverence or respect him because he came from the Amalekites. You've got to remember, Mordecai is a Jew. The Amalekites are the enemy of the Jews. I believe that's why he wouldn't reverence and respect him. And Haman finds out that, he was a, that Mordecai was a Jew and he's infuriated. And he's angry because he's one of the minority in their society and he gets frustrated at him. And then he seeks to kill him and he, and he sets out with the king's blessing uh, uh, kind of in a tricky way to go and to kill and persecute the Jews. I think we see God's providence in and, and it almost proves to me God, just in this fact alone, at how people naturally hate the Jews, amen? Just the fact that all the way down through history, people just hate the Jews. I mean, any society that they ever live in, they're hated. They're hated today. The people uh, uh, that live literally miles away from them at this very moment, there, there could be war and, and battles going on right now against the Jews. They're hated today. They were hated and killed in the millions 75, 80 years ago. And all the way back to where they were living here uh, in, in Babylonian captivity, they were hated. And it's like Haman hated Mordecai. When he found out he was a Jew, he just hated him even more. God's chosen people will be persecuted, but God's mighty hand is always moving in ways we cannot see or know to protect us and our interests. So this rivalry begins with Mordecai and Haman. His identity as a Jew is revealed. Haman plots to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. Mordecai, he mourns the persecution and his family member Esther, his ward, he goes to her and he speaks to her, the queen. There's God's hand again. Mordecai and his people are under persecution. And the one who God made the, to be the queen there in, in, in the Babylonian captivity, there in Persia, 
the one that God established as the queen, unbeknownst to, to Xerxes, was a Jew. That's God's hand. Putting someone in the right place that when Mordecai went to Esther, he, he couldn't have just went to any queen, but he went to the one God placed, and the one God provisionally put by his mind and his power to be the queen. That's who Mordecai was going to and saying, our people are being persecuted and being killed. I promise I'm going somewhere. Esther is mourning with Mordecai and hurting with Mordecai. And Esther begins to move against Haman and his cronies, if you will. And Haman sees Mordecai each and every day in the king's gate. And that makes him angry. Because Mordecai is serving and doing what God had instructed and told him to do. That his position in the king's gate was where God had placed him. And that made Haman angry. And what we have to learn from that is you serving God and you living for God wherever that may be is going to make somebody angry. You doing what you're supposed to do will cause someone to be frustrated and hateful at you and they can't even explain why. Maybe it's because of pride. Maybe it's because they're bitter. Maybe their heart has been hardened. But that's the situation. Haman sees Mordecai and he's angered because each and every day he's serving there in the king's gate. We see Haman's pride and arrogance displayed and what we see from Haman is that he builds, he talks to his family and he talks about all the, the great things that has went on and he walks into his wife and, and, and people are part of his group and his court and his followers and his friends and he says, I'm going to build a 75 foot tall gallows and I'm going to hang Mordecai from those gallows. When people get frustrated and angry with you, they may set a trap. They may set something out to destroy you. He builds these huge gallows, and they'll come back into play in just a moment. Things look dreary for the Jewish people. They're being persecuted and being killed by Haman. You find Haman was given the ring of the king, which in essence would show his authority to do what he was doing, persecuting and killing the Jews. And then he builds this big gallows, 75 foot tall, to hang Mordecai from. He, in his mind, I'm going to kill all the Jews. And I'm going to hang the chief of the Jews, the one I hate the most, I'm going to hang him from these gallows. Looks dark, don't it? There was a story I read about from the early 1800s when General Wellington battled Napoleon. Anybody know where they battled? Waterloo? Anybody heard of Waterloo? Everybody's heard of Waterloo, right? There's an old country song. Waterloo, Waterloo. That's an old one. I have to thank my grandparents for that one. They battled at Waterloo in Wellington. He defeated Napoleon there at Waterloo. They used in that day, and it's still rarely used today, but in that day they used what was called a semaphore, which is a system of flagging to send communication. And they sent back across the English Channel from France from semaphore, a flag or something, smoke signals is what I was thinking of. That's the same, same thing. And 
The British got this message, Wellington defeated. And everybody that read that message, their hearts sank. And then a second later, the rest of the message came through. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And people were so happy and people celebrated and joy filled the streets and people were excited. But it took the rest of the story being told for excitement to come. And so my thought to you this morning, I've told you this story, I probably butchered it, but the reality is I've told you this story about what was going on is, is that God is moving in each and every way, in each and every situation, and he's setting things up right now that we can't see, that we can't understand. And there will be people that come along, like old Haman, that will hate us and that will despise us and will seek to destroy us, and they will be so arrogant because of earthly nature, they've gained position, they've gained prowess, they've gained power, and they think they've got something. And they'll go as far as to build the very destruction for us. The thing that they think will destroy us, they'll build it up and they'll brag about it. Well, look how I'm going to get them and look how I'm going to trip that Christian up. Look how I'm going to uh, cause trouble in their life. Look at how I'm going to destroy them. <coughs> but God's divine providence throughout each and every moment of our lives, he's protecting us. He has a plan. He has protection. He has provision for you in each and every circumstance of your life. We say it sounds like Mordecai was defeated. No, Mordecai defeated Haman through the provision and providence of God. We only got half the message at this point. Haman is all arrogant and Haman is all happy. I'm going to tell you what. You got to be arrogant to build some gallows for one individual person. 75 feet tall. That takes some, some pride and arrogance. But this world is built up with pride against God's people because they can't see God's hand moving like you and I can feel it. They don't know that God has protected me through every uh, uh, bush I've ever ran, run through and every thorn that's ever grabbed a hold of me and every difficulty I've ever had. They don't know the peace that passeth all understanding that God has given me where I've seen his hand move before, where I've seen him touch before, where I've seen him move situations in mountains and seas and valleys. I've seen him move all these things in my life. They don't see that. The people from in this world, all they see is the things of the world. Well... If God's hand is so providential and so powerful, why were all those kill, Jews killed? Why did God not move to save all those Jews? Hey, there's some things in this world I just don't understand. And there's some things in that there, that's still God's providence. It's still God's protection. You say, well, we can't make sense of why this one would pass away. And we hear these stories about these young people that pass on to heaven and we just pray that, that they knew Jesus Christ and trusted him as, his, as their personal Savior. We really pray that and we really hope that. And while it does not feel like God's providence in this very moment, it is God's providence. It is God's power because this life we're living in, we're just pilgrims walking on this earth. We're not at home here on this earth. We are just sojour sojourners on our way to the other side. And for those that pass on and those that they die in terrible circumstances, those that are persecuted, those that are killed, those little ones that pass on to heaven, it feels like something we can't explain, something that I can't understand, something that we'll never understand on this earth. It is God's mighty hand bringing his children into him.
And the rest that he gives on the other side is greater than what we'll fill on this earth. So God is not evil because people die. God's providence is still moving. God is still touching. God is still helping. God is still blessing. But Mordecai, he was left here because Mordecai still had a work to do. Haman, in his rivalry, his anger, his hatred towards Mordecai and the Jews, in his pride, he puts it on display and he builds the gallows for Mordecai. And we'll begin reading, look in verse 6, verse number 1. In that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do? to do honor more than myself. And Haman answered the king for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear and the horse that the king rideth, rideth upon and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And, and let this apparel and horse be delivered into the hand of, of one of the king's most noble princes that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor and so what we see is we see Haman's sinister plan starts to unfold here he, the king speaks to him and he says uh, well first let's look back in verse 1 before we get ahead of, ahead of ourselves God's providential hand on the night could not the king sleep and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. First, we see God's providential hand in the fact that the king couldn't sleep. The king laid down, and he couldn't go to sleep that night. And rather to bring music in, rather to bring dancing in, rather to, to bring a joke teller in or a storyteller in, he says, bring me out the chronicles. I guess the king decided, I used to tell people when I worked in banking, I'd give them their terms and conditions. You've all sat through terms and conditions. You don't want to hear it, but somebody's got to explain it to you. And I always wanted to make sure I covered myself because it's my job riding on how well I explain this. And I'd talk for <coughs> 10, 15 minutes about it. And I'd say, listen, when you get home, if you can't go to sleep, just pull these out and read these terms and conditions, and I'm, I'll assure you that'll put you to sleep. And I figure that's probably what the king was thinking, is he couldn't go to sleep one night after all the... All this was going on that he didn't fully understand and realize what was going on there uh, uh, in his nation. I, I think one night he, he got up and he just couldn't sleep and he was restless and, and he couldn't understand why he couldn't sleep and he went and sat down 
And he said, somebody get the Chronicles out. That's the record in the history of what happens in a nation. That's the only reason uh, uh, that you and I today know what, know what has went on in history is because there were chroniclers and there were people that wrote down history, even in ancient times, knowing that one day it would need to be brought back up, reminded of, and talked about. And, and to, the, to our benefit today, we study as history. And so he said, bring the Chronicles out. I can't sleep. I guess he figured they'd put him to sleep. That's God's providential hand. It's just when we find ourselves in the darkest, dreary places of life, he will wake someone up that doesn't even know him. Xerxes had never professed to be one of God's own people. He didn't hate the Jews, but he didn't live like a Jew. But God woke him up and wouldn't let him go to sleep because God's great hand was moving to save Mordecai's life. And so God will use and God can touch and God can speak to lost people. Don't tell me he can't. He's God. And he woke Xerxes up. And I believe he made Xerxes restless. And when Xerxes thought, I'm going to listen to something that's going to put me to sleep. What did he do? They read the Chronicles. What did I tell you? We're in the Chronicles. The fact that Mordecai saved the king's life. So let me tell you something about that. I didn't think I was going to be able to preach this morning. Where are we at? Oh, man. (coughs) The fact that you don't get instant gratification right now for a good deed you have done doesn't mean that you'll never get gratification or recognition. God sees and knows what you do today. And on the side note there, if God never rewards you for that on this earth, You ought not be mad at God because the fact that we're Christian people saved going to heaven is enough for me and should be enough for all of us. I can preach a lot better than I can live. I I want to be recognized. Lord, just, just save me. Lord, intervene, move. And he will. And he woke up the king and they read the Chronicles. And while Mordecai was not recognized back when he saved the king's life, what was he doing in between? He was serving in the king's gates. So let me tell you something. Maybe you've done a good deed. You've been waiting on uh, you, the devil has started to talk you into the fact you've never been blessed for or haven't yet, yet been revealed to you or hasn't been yet revealed to God. God is working and God is moving. And if you do it, do good deeds to get a blessing out of it because you just want a blessing out of it, that's the wrong reason to be doing good deeds. If you do what you do because you're a servant of God and you're in the king's gates each and every day, wherever those may be for you, God sees that, and it may not be today, but God's mighty hand is moving to bless you and to touch you and to protect you. And it might be a year from now, 10 years now, 20 years from now, God's mighty hand is moving. And you look and think of the providence of God in this situation. He woke the king up, they read the Chronicles, and then what does he say? And it was found written, verse 2, that Mordecai had told of Big Thina and Teresh, Two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. God's hand once again is moving in this situation in the fact that God woke the king up. The king wanted to be lulled to sleep by the boring chronicles. And then he comes to find out Mordecai has never been rewarded for what he's done. So let me tell you something about that. Be patient because at this very moment, that thing that seems to be unattainable, the situation that seems like you can't fix, 
the hardship you're going through in your life that there seems to be no end of it. It may be at this very moment that God is revealing that to someone and God is letting that plan unfold and God is opening up a door for your deliverance. God is opening up a door for your children's deliverance. God is making a way and a path that no man will be able to hinder. God is moving at this very moment and it may be in this moment he's fixing the situation that you can't fix. There's gallows out there for Mordecai, amen? They were wanting to hang on Mordecai. Haman was going to do it. We'll see in a sec. Well, we may have to see tonight, just to be honest with you. What happened is that Esther, I, I got I to tell you this, and this is scattered, but it's, I think it's probably okay. I'm sorry. Esther had been placed in that position as queen for the right time, amen? She was not known by the king to be a Jew, but she was a beautiful woman. That goes a long way. Old Xerxes, that went a long way with Xerxes. He was infatuated with her. What did Esther do? If you read the scriptures, you'll find that Esther called for a banquet. And she had invited Haman to come to that banquet. And Haman thought, when I go down to that banquet and I see Xerxes, I'm going to ask old Xerxes, hey, I'm one of your favorite servants. Can I hang old Mordecai? You care if I hang him? I don't like him. You probably lie about him, tell some story about him. There's people out there that that's what they're doing to you. They would seek your destruction. But there's somebody God's placed in the right position. Or there's something God's moved. God put Esther as the queen, Xerxes' wife, for a reason. She already had planned to invite Haman. And she reveals herself later in the story as a Jew. Let's go a few more verses and I'll be done. End of verse 3, it says, There is nothing done for him. Xerxes' mind begins to turn. What can I do for Mordecai? He saved my life. Verse 4, it says, And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had pre prepared for him. See, that was his intention all along. He bragged to his family about how he was invited by, the, by Queen Esther. He said, I've been invited. Only the king and myself will be present with Esther. How important he felt. He said, who's coming to court? Haman was there. And he was there to ask the king, to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? Look at his arrogance. But God plans to use the arrogance of Haman to bestow blessings on Mordecai. Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than, more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which, is the, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, 
and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done, it, it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Verse 10, Then the king said unto Haman, Make haste, and take apparel and the horse, and thou, as thou hast said, and do even, to, even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. This is God's hand moving. He's saying all these intentions of your heart, Haman, go give that to Mordecai. Go bless Mordecai. And he said, don't forget a thing you said. I love it. I'm so glad you brought all these things up. Don't forget any of it. And go find him and go get him. And, and I believe maybe even if I could just step out on this limb, I believe maybe I know where he's at. He's down in my gate. That's where he always is. Go get him. Go put the robe on him. Go put him on the horse. Parade him through the street. Celebrate him. I promise I'm almost done. A lot of people posting that meme about hostage situations and preaching recently. I've seen that. So I'm being careful. It's not a hostage situation. You can leave. When I'm done. <laughs> Verse 11. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Verse 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. After Mordecai had been paraded through the streets, what did he do? He went back to the place God had called him. He went back to the gate. He didn't sit around the, the castle expecting all these blessings and a pat, more pats on the back. He was paraded through the town and he went back to the position in which he served. And Haman, verse 13, told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him that then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom... Thou hast begun to fall. Thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hastened, hastened to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. 